Welcome to the Make Disciples Podcast, a short weekly podcast of Wildwood Church where we will share topics, ideas, and resources useful to you in your effort to follow Jesus as his disciple. Welcome back to the Make Disciples Podcast. Uh, I'm Eric Ryan. I'm the pastor of uh, the Make Disciples Strategy at Wildwood Church. And Dan, it has been uh, missed being on this podcast for the last couple of weeks. Heard great things about where we're going with talking through uh, Bible study, but uh, maybe just remind us what have uh, you and Heather been talking about when it comes to Bible studies last couple of weeks? Yeah, it's good to have you back. Uh, We've had a good couple weeks where we've been talking about Bible study and starting to get into the different steps of Bible study. We've talked about the importance of Bible study as opposed to simply Bible reading. Bible reading is a really good thing to do, but if all we do is reading the Bible, then we're missing out on uh, the deeper understanding that we can have through a uh, more uh, comprehensive study of the text that we're looking at. And so how it's important to dive more deeply into uh, our study of the Bible. And so we talked about the first primary step in Bible study, the step of observation. We discussed how important it is to just spend time looking at the text and looking more at the text and asking questions about what you're looking at and uh, considering what's going on there. And it takes time to study the Bible. And observation can be one of those steps that we run over and say, okay, I read it, therefore I'm done. But no, we got to stare at the text and let it speak to us. And so observation is a really important first step. Yeah, yeah. I've always um, been kind of taught to reminded that, you know, observation, if you think of a detective, right, they walk up on a crime scene. And a lot of times when you watch those kind of crime TV shows, a lot of times they're really just marking what it is that they're going to have to run down. You know, so observation for me, a lot of times is I'm going to list out the things that I need to go follow up with, right? So I'm going to make an observation of, hey, this word, I know this word generally in the English, but I'm, I'm really curious, does this word show up anywhere else nearby? Does it show up anywhere else in the Old Testament? You know, so you're just going to kind of go through as a detective. And, you know, if you come up on a murder scene, you're going, hey, there's, there's actually a broken window over there. I need to make sure that we figure out, was that broken from the inside? Was it broken the outside? Was it broken before they died? Was it broken after they died? You know, hey, there's, there's blood on the victim, but there's also blood over here. And we got we to gotta figure out, was this, you know, during a, a dispute, you know, when did all this happen? And you just kind of learn uh, a process of asking questions of the text. And I, I think that's something that just kind of grows with practice. Um, I love watching somebody who's good at observation go after a passage because they ask some questions of a text that you're like, oh, oh, oh man, I didn't, I didn't even think to ask that question. Um, and I think that's why we love great, great Bible teachers. But I think the ones that separate the mediocre Bible teachers and Bible studiers from the, you know, the greats is that that piece of observation, you know, and I, I remember when I, we, you know, heading into seminary, you start reading some of those old writers who are long gone. And it was fascinating to watch, like, especially that Puritan era where they would take like one word right? They would take or one small sentence from scripture and they would write like an hour and a half sermon based off of that sentence. Cause I mean, they could just observe, observe the mess out of that, uh, out of that passage. So awesome. I'm glad you guys were able to talk through that. We're on to, uh, the second step 
uh, in the Bible study process, which is actually another step that is commonly skipped over. A lot of times we read a passage and we jump directly to application. What does this mean for me? Um, and, uh, and so that middle step is interpretation. The first step you've got to, you know, be able to take in Bible study is, Hey, what does this mean? And uh, a common phrase you hear when you're learning how to study the Bible is that the Bible has one interpretation. It has many applications. And so you're kind of honing in on a passage and you're really trying to get to the point of what does this mean? And not just what does this mean to me? Not what does this mean to my neighbor? Uh, but going back to both the human author and the the author of the Holy Spirit, uh, what was the purpose in writing uh, this in the passage? Um, Dan, what are some things you've learned uh, about and around interpretation in the last few years? Well, I really like how you set this up by saying that really good observation sets up your really good interpretation because it prepares you to start thinking more deeply about the passage by asking those questions right from the get go. And interpretation has a lot to do with simply answering those questions and uh, trying to dive more deeply uh, at a at a microscopic level at times, looking at individual words and saying, well, what does this word mean? What does this word mean uh, in the original writing, whether it's the Greek or Hebrew? What does this uh, phrase mean and, and why is it here? But we're also talking at a broader level, too. We want to look at whatever passage or verse we're looking at uh, and compare it to uh, the chapter or the book that we're looking at, because we want to understand the meaning of particular sentences and paragraphs, but we also want to understand the meaning of the, the book as a whole. And all of that goes into an understanding of the Bible. And so we can take a 20,000 foot view, but we can also take a microscopic view. And both of those help us understand the meaning of the passage. Yeah, it would be like saying you can't you can't uh, solve a murder by just doing the autopsy. Uh, a lot of times they have to zoom out, right? A lot of times they go, okay, let's say this murder happened in a home. Well, is the home an apartment? You know, if it's an apartment, let's zoom out. What what's been going on outside in the apartment complex that night? Uh, what was going on? And you gotta you gotta take in the entire environment to actually be able to even at times interpret that autopsy. Uh, based off of things that were happening uh, in the room. You know, if it's, if it's somebody who was murdered by poison, right, there's going to be things around them that look very differently than if it was uh, a brawl that turned uh, wrong and, and somebody ended up uh, killed because of it. So, you know, there's, there's going to be things you see in the environment that are very much going to interpret the autopsy. And it's the same thing with the Bible verse. There's going to be uh, things that you have to know about that particular book of the Bible, uh, what genre it is, uh, what uh, what was the original purpose of writing? Is it a letter? Is it a is it a historical narrative? Uh, and then you got to kind of, in some ways, and 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 you know, the chapters are not inspired. You have to remember that, but they're good markers for us. And you got to kind of zoom in and go, okay, well what was the flow of the first couple chapters before we get to, you know, with this today, Philippians four, what was the flow up to Philippians four? What was, what was Philippians three about? And then, you know, cause Philippians four starts with therefore, right? So if, if we're getting with a therefore, where did he end in Philippians chapter three? And then what is the, what is the overall, you know, summary that I would give to this, this chapter coming in 
uh, and then leading into uh, Philippians 4.13. So let's, let's take this passage and uh, on Philippians 4.13 here and, and uh, let's try to interpret as best we can the meaning of this passage. So we've only got a few minutes left here. So again, this is a podcast that's really designed to whet your appetite. I encourage you to go back to Philippians 4.13 if you're listening to this and, and do some more work yourself. But uh, we just want to give the gist because this is a common passage we heard. So Dan, what are some things that you see as you go after the meaning? Yeah. Talking about Philippians 4.13 by itself gives us some insight into the life of the believer. But when we add the context, it's incredibly important. When we look at the context in the chapter, Philippians 4, you start to see that Paul is talking about, well, contentment. And so he's saying we can be content through the power of Christ that we have. Uh, But uh, when we take a further step back and we look at Philippians as a whole, you start seeing the repetition of the word joy and how he's talking about the joy that we can have in the gospel. And that that's an important thing. But when you realize that Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church from prison and he's talking about joy, you realize that this is incredibly important. And so you get something from a a close-up view, but just from a chapter perspective, it adds adds insight. Then with the entire book, you start to realize that joy in the gospel provides contentment in our lives. And we can have that contentment and we can uh, be at peace because of what Jesus has done for us. I think that's more of a fuller meaning of Philippians 4.13. Yeah, you know, the the point, uh, you know, just zooming out to the letter itself, right? Philippians is a prison epistle, meaning it's one of the letters Paul wrote in prison. He's not saying I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I'm going to break out of jail, right? He is, uh, and it's really interesting when you look at chapter three, like I said, it, it ends with, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject things all under his feet, right? So Jesus is about to transform us with the very power that he uses to rule and reign over the entire universe. And then four starts with, therefore, my brothers, whom I love, uh, and, and long to be with. And then he starts walking through, right? And we get to verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He said, I, I understand your concern for me. I'm in prison. You've been providing for me. And he says, but I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. So there's, you know, with this verse that's so commonly used around triumph, around sports, around success and business, I, I do think there's an element at which this verse can be applied there, right? That when there is plenty, when I'm not being brought low, when I'm uh, right, when he says, I, for I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in those moments when we abound, right? We understand that that's through Christ who is, is strengthening us. But on the flip side, it's remembering, look, when I'm brought low, that does not mean that Christ is not strengthening me, right? In fact, it means that I can trust that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so whether I am in a season of, of extreme blessing or I'm in a season of want and struggle and strife and difficulty that I know I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. So if you, if you have a kid who's playing sports and you're trying to teach them to rely on Christ, to uh, learn how to use that in sports, I think sports is a great environment for kids to learn. Hey, when I'm hurt, I can trust that Christ is going to strengthen me, but make sure you're not just teaching your, your son or your daughter Hey, trust Christ to strengthen us so we win, 
but rather even in the midst of a difficult loss in sports to say, Hey, you relied on Christ and he was strengthening you and he's going to strengthen you even to overcome uh, this loss. It doesn't mean you're going to turn and have a winning record. It just means he's going to sustain you in the midst of this because Christ, I can do all things through, through him who gives me strength. You can be just as content in your loss, not in some kind of lazy way, but in a way of, man, we left it all on the field and we still lost. You can be content there just as you can be content in winning a championship. And, uh, and so, you know, it's interesting that Paul, right before this chapter, I mean, he pulls our view all the way out to being a citizen of heaven, right? So, so Paul is not talking about this strength from Christ that helps us to conquer this world, right? He's talking about a strength from Christ because ultimately, whether I'm in a Roman prison right now or not, ultimately my citizenship is in heaven and he's going to transform me with the same power he uses to rule and reign over the universe. And so that, that knowledge of my citizenship being in heaven gives me strength to endure whatever comes across my plate uh, here on earth. And so it's just interesting that this is a verse that's so commonly used to talk about success in this world. When the whole framework of this verse began with, Hey, don't worry about success in this world as much because you're a citizen of heaven and one day God's going to transform you. So it's interesting. We almost flip it. When we do that, we almost use it for the exact opposite of its meaning. When we start using this as a verse for thriving in this world that Paul really was using it to say, Hey, I know what's coming. And so I can actually endure anything that comes before me, whether it's bringing me high or bringing me low. Yeah, that's a good word. All right. What are, uh, real quick here, we got maybe one or two more minutes. What, uh, what are some quick tools that we can point to people to? Yeah. So, so the easiest thing is a good study Bible. Absolutely. Uh, if a study Bible is put together well, it's going to give you context to verses. It's going to help you understand the history of the particular books that you're reading. Protect, it may uh, help you understand certain words that are being used in the passage. It's a great thing to have and it's very accessible as you're studying the Bible. Yeah. And I would just add to that. I think um, you're going to be able to interpret passages easy with a basic biblical theology, understanding just the basic authors of every book of the Bible, understanding just a basic timeline of the old and new Testament. The old Testament timeline is actually easier to follow because it's just one nation that you're trying to follow and understand kind of how God's leading his people that way. And I think starting there, but then uh, we talked even before this, the Logos Bible software, if you're looking to really invest in Bible tools is probably the easiest way uh, to get a, a good bit of tools underneath your belt. Uh, but I would really encourage people try to interpret on your own before you really dive into uh, various comment- commentaries and just ask in the observation section, a ton of questions of the text. And then in interpretation, go back, answer those questions and try to piece them together into a one or two sentence interpretation uh, of that text. And, and as we'll talk uh, next week, that's what we take and we apply to our life. So thanks for listening to uh, this uh, episode of Make Disciples. We look forward to uh, talking with you uh, next week and we will uh, see you guys then. 